I'm grateful that this is happening because now people are opening up and, and, and being more upfront about this. People that I use drugs with, they didn't have people advocating for them. They really, they just didn't. You know, there were so many people that died, you know, during the crack era. But now, you know, you have people who are advocating for individuals. Uh, you have parents. And if you look at any change in America, it starts with parents. When parents start raising hell, <laughs> things change, you know. And so I think we'll fight stigma to the day we die. You're listening to The One Lost, a podcast from The One Lost Ministry, whose mission and purpose is to empower the lost and less fortunate to cope spiritually, emotionally, and physically to improve their living conditions and build self-efficacy. I'm Jason Gillikin, and I've been so fortunate to have the privilege of getting to know the founders of The One Lost, husband and wife team Troy and Michelle Manns. They are focused on changing the world one life at a time. Michelle and Troy, they met at Troy's brother's 50th birthday party, and that meeting, it almost never happened. The evening of the party, I thought, uh, maybe I don't want to go. Yeah. Uh, and a friend of mine was saying, you're not doing anything, just go anyway. <laughs> right. And then he kind of had the same, well, you were going to go, but. Yeah, and I asked another female to go on a date with me to the uh, party. She was like, no, nah, I don't want to go. I don't want nobody thinking we're a couple. We're not married. I don't want to. I'm so grateful she didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm grateful that I did go because, again, even though we sat at the same table, I really didn't pay much attention to him. The next day after the party, I posted a selfie with his brother and his brother's wife, which, again, I've known them for, like, forever. As soon as I posted that picture, I got a friend request from him, which I accepted. And then we, he um, started inboxing me in Messenger. We kind of had a long conversation going back and forth. And then we decided, oh, we, let's talk on the phone. And so we started talking on the phone, and the rest is history. <laughs> Second date, I knew. She's the one. Both have been married before, and whether they found someone else or not, they were both comfortable with themselves. So meeting together at that time in their lives, that worked out pretty great. But for Troy, it took him a long time to get to that healthy place. I am a person in long-term recovery from alcohol and drugs and what that means. Uh, for the past 22 years, I have been free from any substance, mm. which is a miracle in itself. But yeah, one time in my life, I was lost. I, 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 drugs and alcohol had become my uh, coping mechanism from an early age. Started using it around the age of 12. So, you know, in the developmental stage of life, I was lost. I, I was wrapped up in this world of, you know, consuming drugs and alcohol. And, and so um, it was, <laughs> it was very difficult, you know, and so, I had sought help, and in that process of seeking help, I found what I call today a tribe mm. of people who understood. And that was very important to me because even the people around me who loved me, you know, dearly and wanted to help, they just didn't understand. You know, their, their thing was, you see what this is doing to your life, so why don't you just stop? And I'm looking at them like, well, if I could just stop, <laughs> I would. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they didn't have a clear understanding of what we call today the grips of addiction and what it takes to break that. And so it was very important to have that tribe and people to help me. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I, I believe God put them there for that purpose, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. Where did this tribe come from? It was, it was a facility called Freedom House Recovery Center, uh, and it was other people who were just like me who, who dealt with the same issues in their life. They figured a, a way of coming together and supporting one another, and in doing that, they found freedom from the addiction, yeah. which was absolutely amazing. You know, So it was like one person helping another. Yeah. And uh, that is what... Uh, really pushed me into the one loss. Mm. Uh, the idea of, you know, because so many times 
we say someone needs help, but yet we don't give them the direction and the help that they need to get better. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that I gave back what was given to me. Yeah. That people could could do that. Yeah. So you mentioned your friends and family said, well, why don't you just stop what you're doing? And then it took you until you found Freedom House Recovery Center to truly get get the help. Do you feel like people who are um, addicted need to want to be helped? Like, is that step one, like to, to understand that, that, yes, this is a problem for me? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, man. Uh, it's got to be a desire that comes from within an individual. Because you can offer an individual all the help in the world, and if they are not willing to, you know, partake in that, yeah, it's not going to do them any good. I, I know I read an article uh, a couple of weeks ago, like in San Francisco, they spend over $100 million a year in substance uses um, services that people don't utilize, really, you mm. know. So you can spend all the money you want to, but it's an individual decision if I want to uh, take this help or not. What was the point in your life where you're like, okay, I'm ready? Oh, man. I think there were several points okay. when I, I felt ready. I, I really believe it came to losing the support of my grandmother. Mm. My grandmother was the one solid person in my life, no matter what happened, man. No mm -hmm. matter. I don't care what happened. She was going to be there. And when she wasn't there anymore, it really, it broke my heart, first of all. But but now looking back on that, it was such a blessing for her to do that. Yeah. Because that really opened me up to say, okay, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. And I've got to do this on my own. And i got to do this on my own. Yeah. And, and, and I will say this, willingness is the key to change. Yeah. You, you don't have to have it figured out. You just got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And you can't do it with stipulations. What does that mean? So in other words, if, if somebody says, this is the help that we offer, it's a six-month program, you got to stay here, you got to do this, you can't come in and say, well, I don't want to do that. Mm. I say, okay, that's what I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And that's been part of how I operate today. You know, in my life today, like if it's something that's going to better my life, I don't have to have a sneak preview of what it's going to turn out to be. I just do it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's been a game changer for me. Yeah, I love it. So you were lost. It's been 22, 22 years sober. Like, how do you feel now? Like, you're not lost. How would you describe yourself? I feel like a cup that's running over that I have to give it back. Okay, I believe that I'm blessed to bless others. And I believe the day that I feel like that I can't give this back is the day that, that I it's time for me to exit this earth. And what I what I do realize today is that my life was transformed to be a light, to be a cup for other people who needs the same thing. And uh my life is full today. Hmm. You know, I, I have a beautiful wife who just compliments my life and makes me better. Uh, I have the respect of my family, community. I have judges, sheriffs, police officers on speed dial. I can. That to me is 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 a blessing from where I came from. And I also understand that with that comes a huge responsibility, you know. <laughs> I just don't take that for granted uh, because it can be gone like that. So with the cup that runs over, I guard it with everything because I, I know that it could be gone at the wink of an eye. That's powerful. Um, Michelle, how did you get into recovery work? How did, like... You're the co-founder of The One Lost. How did you get into it? 
So I will back up and say that the interesting thing is that, and this is just kind of how God works, mm-hmm. when Troy shared his his vision for what is the one loss today, we weren't married yet, but he shared it. And when he realized sort of just my, my life's experience and background, we both realized that we were purposed to do this. And um, I graduated from East Carolina University with a degree in urban planning. Left straight out of college, did that for several years. And like most kids or young adults do, you know, we go to college and we're like, we do what we went to college for for a few years. And then I was like, I don't think this is what I want to <laughs> do the rest of my life. Um, you know, so I, I found myself when I lived in Detroit, the church I attended at that time was very involved in the community. And it started, the church started a nonprofit organization to sort of revitalize the community um, in which it was located on the east side of Detroit. And the pastor came to me because of my background and um, asked me if I would be the church's housing director. And I was in urban planning at that time wanting to get out of that, not sure what I wanted to do. So that was sort of perfect time. I was like, sure, I'll try this. And so sort of the work of community development started in Detroit. Did that for a couple of years, and then I work, went to work for Shore Bank, which was based out of Chicago, doing some revitalization work. And that is how I ended up in real estate development. With no experience, they handed me a project <laughs> that I completed like, hundreds of thousands under budget, and they were like in love with me. And I thought, okay, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Fast forward many years, my career and experience kind of went back and forth between real estate development of affordable housing, mostly apartments, but I also did community development work, and I uh, was an executive director of a community in Charlotte, um, that's why I got a lot of experience that I am now utilizing in this <laughs> position with our nonprofit. I got a lot of experience um, there. But um, that's kind of fast forward how I, I'm kind of where I am now. I think, you know, my steps were orchestrated because I certainly didn't plan any of it. Every position I had, I, I think about I was uh, working in real estate development for the Charlotte Housing Authority. And we, I got in charge, I was asked to manage a project where they were um, demolishing public housing. And I was just really involved in that community. And I got to really learn about the people, you know, in that community and, um, you know, getting them out of that community and things of that nature. So a lot of what I'm using today and what I'm learning from Troy in his work. I've learned a lot about what he does. I kind of put all that together and um, I think I, I won't say I stumbled into it because, you know, God doesn't work by stumbling. It's, it, I was purposed and my steps were sort of orchestrated to end up where I am today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did we talk about you uh, being from Detroit? Like, I'm, I'm from Detroit. So actually <laughs> I ended up in Detroit from my first husband. Oh, gotcha. Um, I was, we, my first husband and I met in Winston-Salem, and he ended up getting a job in Detroit, and that's how we ended up in Detroit. So gotcha. I was in Detroit, I'm telling my age now, for eight years from 92 to 90, well, I'm sorry, 92 to 99. Michelle, that, that's awesome how you got into, into this work. And, you know, we all have those fortunate series of events, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's God's calling, you know, who yeah. knows, right? Um, but that has led you to to meet, um, led you to to you know start the one lost and make a difference in, in so many people's lives. Troy, let's talk about how you started in recovery work and in being a, a mentor to, to others. How did that come about? <laughs> Again, I mean, <laughs> just, just being there, <laughs> just being at the, at the right place at the right time. So. I'm really grateful for my first job, though, because I I think you and I were talking earlier, and life is a series of events and decisions, and some are bad, some are good, but I do believe that when you're in the will of God, when you have the heart of God, 
even bad decisions turn out to work out for you. But I had a job with UNC uh, General Storeroom, and uh, Mike, uh, who was my boss then, he was from the Virgin Islands, he was very instrumental in my life in just helping me understand the importance of certain things about employment and working, job skills, things that I wouldn't have got if I didn't if I hadn't worked for him. Yeah. And I understand now that he was placed in my life kind of like a mentor because I had I had used drugs for so many years, I never really held down long employment. So my first job was really a, a learning ground for me that introduced me to learning new communication skills, how to deal with, with customers. And um, one day, man, a guy that I knew came up to me and said, hey, man, uh, Freedom House is hiring, man. And this is the place I went through. I said, really? He said, yeah, they're hiring for a healthcare technician. And the name was intimidating to me. Like the job title was like, whoa, I can't, I'm not a healthcare technician, but what is that? You know? Yeah. And he says, man, you'll just drive, you'll drive the clients to meetings. And I was like, oh, please, I can do that. <laughs> you know, they gave me this big fancy name. And another little true story, man, it'll make you laugh. When I got the job, I called home and told my mom, I said, Ma, I got a job at Freedom House. I'm a health care technician. And she told everybody in the community that I was the executive director. I was the <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just played along with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> running the place. But, uh, yeah, man, and, and I'm telling you, man, something happened when I started helping other people something started to wake up in me. Mm. And uh, I just knew it felt good to help other people. And I started feeling better about myself. The more I helped other people, the more I felt better about myself. And the more I started to find myself. And uh, that was one of them things that I used to hear all the time, you know, uh, just service work will save your life. That's something that they used to say all the time. And that's how I got into this field, man. Yeah. And uh, Any stories that you can share of early days of, of being a mentor? Yeah. I mean, you know, you have you run into different types of situations where people have lost everything. You know, they've lost their families. Uh, families are pretty much, you know, done with them. Uh, they've lied so much to family, they don't trust them anymore. But for them just to have somebody who has been through that situation— and can encourage them, look, man, just just hold on, okay? Uh, you don't have to fix it all today. Yeah. And, and that that's a big part of the process is just, you know, getting it to small steps because the whole thought process of trying to fix it all today is overwhelming, mm. and that's what causes a lot of people to return to their use. So you don't have to fix it all today. Right. And my other motto is live your life that your life becomes the apology Versus you apologize and live your life where you don't make those same mistakes anymore. Oh, yeah. And people will normally come around, you know, after they see. Because so many times we want to say things versus uh, demonstrating it mm. for people to see it. And my brother, who is a big supporter of me, uh, who's always been in my life, he told me that. he. Uh, I remember one time I had been in recovery for several years, and he was going out of town, and he left me his car. Mm -hmm. They were flying out of Durham or something. And when he left me his car, I knew that he believed in yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. He, he didn't have to say anything. Just him leaving me his vehicle says, brother, I trust you. And that in itself was empowering to me because when somebody trusts you, again, going back to earlier what I said, it comes with a responsibility now. Yeah. So, so I, can't, I can't go backwards now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would be devastating. And that, that right there sticks in my mind all the time that, that people begin to trust me. Yeah. And you have a responsibility to these people now. I have, I have a great responsibility to these people now. Yeah. You know, I have a niece, uh, Renaya, who's a senior in high school, has never seen me high in her life. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's amazing to me. Like when my niece, she doesn't know that old guy, (laughs) you know, and that is just, that's the beauty of recovery and change. And even talking to my wife sometimes, telling her some of the things that I've been through, she just sits there and looks like, oh my God. (laughs) It's like, yeah, babe. Anything you want to share about what you <laughs> Some of the stories. <laughs> some of the stories. You know, I will go back, though, to when we were dating. I, I, was, I, I think I told him this last night. One of the things that really impressed me about him, he was just so much of himself. Typically, when you first meet someone, you know, it's all about impressing them, right? Sure. Everybody's <laughs> trying to put on this front. He was so naturally himself. He told me his story. I honestly, on the first date, I can see myself now. He was telling me part of his story, and my eyes were welling up. I was like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. It's such an amazing, miraculous story of some of the things he shared that he had gone through. That I, I mean, I see the other side of this person, so... When I first heard some of the stories, it was very unbelievable to me. But I think that had he not experienced those experiences, he would not be able to be so impactful in other people's lives. And that's one of the things that I've seen since we've been married. He gets many phone calls. A lot of people see his success and they think that, oh, if I just call him and find the recipe I can save my loved one overnight, and mm-hmm. it does it does not happen that way. They look at his life and think it happened overnight, and it took many years. And I think that's one of the challenges of what we do in this ministry now is people want a quick fix. I think that's just kind of the nature of our world today, a quick fix. They don't want to really go through the processes that are required to get to that other side. So, yeah. So, Michelle, was it scary hearing these stories as you're just starting to to date? Like what it seems like you were proud of what he had gone through, but was it also scary or It was never scary. Okay. Never ever scary. I just said, "Wow. This is someone that I I could be with." <laughs> yeah. I I just he was so sincere and he I saw the passion in it. But it was never scary. Never once was it scary. That's amazing. Troy, you had a, uh, a segment on WRAL. I don't know how long ago. Let's say it was a couple of years ago. And uh, one of the themes of that was the work that you were doing. And what we talked about afterwards, after I watched that, is um, you know, sometimes people who are addicted are seen as lesser than. Mm, like, yeah, aren't, yeah. aren't seen as... Like full human beings, almost. Like, yeah. can you talk about about that and that that perspective, and you know what what can be done to to help change that? Yeah, I can talk about that all day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think you, we have to really go back to the way this nation has treated people with addiction. We've criminalized it. We we started a whole war on people who were sick, and incarcerated people for. Uh, just major prison time for having a drug problem. So I think that has caused people to have this uh, view of individuals who are dealing with substance use. Oh, they, they just chose that life. And what I would like to just let people know is that there's nobody listening to this podcast or sitting in this room that has made it through this life without making a couple of choices that were not good choices. And uh, usually most addiction starts in the teen years when we know the brain is not fully developed and we just make horrible decisions. So the stigma that is placed on people with substance use is that, uh, you know, they're either uh, bad people, they made those choices, they need to reap the consequences until, until it affects their household then the tune changes. And so that's what we see now. We see a whole new face that this addiction is is just ripping apart 
a younger community, a young white community. And now what I always tell people is that I'm grateful that this is happening because now people are opening up and, and, and being more upfront about this. People that I use drugs with, they didn't have people advocating for them. Mm. They really, they just didn't. You know, there were so many people that died, you know, during the crack era. But now, you know, you have people who are advocating for individuals. Uh, you have parents. And if you look at any change in America, it starts with parents. When mm-hmm. parents start raising hell, <laughs> things change, you yeah. know. And so I think we'll fight stigma to the day we die. I think there's just going to be a select group of people who just feel like, oh, you know, that that's just decisions they made. But I also would like to just say that I believe that we've made a lot of progress uh, towards taking away stigma, even with the new job is that I'm coming up on. I'm yeah. partnering with the police department to help people. And that's just amazing in itself. You know, people are being able to go back to school with criminal history from substance use. They're not looking at that as much as they used to. So through our voices, when we used to be quiet about our recovery, now we're speaking out. And, um, you know, I, I remember years ago, uh, they used to tell us, you don't supposed to tell people when you're in recovery is anonymity. And I was like, well, everybody knew that I use drugs, right? Mm. And I want people to know that I'm in recovery and that people get better. Yeah. And I champion that. I champion that in, in my everyday life because I don't want anybody to feel like that uh, they have to live that way. Yeah. There, there is possibility for change. What an encouraging message there. That's amazing. So how did you two start The One Lost? Let's shift to that. Uh, Michelle, do you want to start? So again, as I had mentioned before, he shared that vision um, while we were dating. And we continued to talk about it. And we felt the time was right um, during the pandemic when things were pretty quiet and laid back that, you know, this is a good time. I got a little extra time on my hands. Um, to get things going and really bring this to fruition. And so we did that the fall of 2020 um, and officially launched in terms of being an organization in October of 2020. Um, Formed a board of directors, started having meetings in 2021. I believe that's when we had our first board meeting in January of 2021. And as we started coming out of the pandemic, then we started, you know, just doing more things and opening up our programming and just really implementing many of the things that we had had planned and talked about. So what is the vision? Like you said, you, you kind of talk about the vision. Describe that. Like what is, what is the goal? What's the vision for the one lost here? So really... It started with the fact that a lot of people see Troy as kind of the go-to person in this world that he's in. I do want to make sure that people understand we don't just assist with folks who are coming out of addiction. It's really to evangelize and to disciple. We want to see, we want to kind of get to the core of people's situation. And people are in different situations for different reasons, whether it is because of addiction, whether it's because, you know, they end up being incarcerated for whatever period of time that is, you know, whether it's grandparents. Now, a big movement we see now are grandparents and great-grandparents raising grandchildren. Um, And so we want to help kind of get to the core of the issue. So we evangelize, disciple, but we also help people uh, navigate resources. Our resources in terms of government and either even other nonprofits are so overwhelmed that people are just like a number. Um, they are so overwhelmed that people really don't get the attention that they want to get. And that's where we come in. We are not here to duplicate what other organizations do or duplicate you know, some of the services that are out there to help. But we are to lend a helping hand and help guide people through that because, again, trying to trying to do that on your own can be very 
discouraging. Oh, yeah. And so that's where we come in. We partner with other organizations or other services that are out there. And what we want to do is just help people get back on their feet, whatever their situation is. Yeah. So the one lost could be somebody recovering from addiction or mm-hmm. who, who wants to recover from addiction. Um, I think in our previous conversations, you said, um, you know, maybe somebody who's, whose child, um, you know, committed suicide or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you want to help out with, with that family. And the one loss could mean so many different things, mm-hmm. right? It, it yep. can. Yeah, I think um, it goes beyond just addiction, as Michelle was saying. And another thing that we focus on is caring for that person. And the name one loss, when you think about it, we our focus is one. Our focus is not how many numbers we do because I've worked for organizations that focus on numbers and they never deal with the whole person. And so when people feel that they are a number, they, they feel the stigma that comes with that. And so our mindset is, and the vision that God has given me with this and what has happened for me, when you treat people as human beings mm-hmm. and walk with them through life, they become better human beings that this rolls over into every area of their life. Mm-hmm. So if we help one person, this is somebody's dad, this is somebody's mom, somebody's brother or sister, right? And this is somebody who is not jamming up the court systems anymore, the productive taxpayer. It's just so many things when you focused on that one. And then what we hope to uh, happen is that other people buy into that and it just keeps going where mm-hmm. people dedicate, okay, I'm going I'm to focus on this one, but it may be the one may turn into two or three. And then you say, okay, well, the two or three can get another one and do the same thing. And as Michelle said, we're not trying to duplicate. We're not trying to take anything away from anybody. If somebody is doing something over here that we know this individual can benefit from, we want to partner with them. We want to make sure that he's connected with them because I've seen that so much. Everybody's duplicating one another, and then <laughs> nobody's getting the services that right. they need. You right. know, and so that's that's not what we're trying to do. We're not in any competition to you know toot our own horns about how much we. I feel like my wife and I are so blessed. We owe society this. Yeah. You know, we're just blessed beyond measure. And I'm not talking about we're loaded with money or nothing like that. We're just blessed to mm-hmm. to be able to have uh, the, the experience that we have to, to give back to people. Uh, and I think sometime in this society with this get it fast and uh, Google, I call it the, the Google culture, uh, they miss out on the wealth of experience that they could gain from people, yeah. you know? And so that's what we're trying to bring to the table. Yeah, that's so powerful. You talk about helping out just one person and then by that, two, three, you know, in, in the, the world, right? Um, you strike me as that person that when you're having a conversation that person is the only other person in the world for you at this time. And like mm-hmm. you could have a, a deep conversation, you could be in a networking event and there could be a hundred different things going on over here, but you're narrowly focused on that one person. Mm-hmm. So I think the one lost is like a perfect mm-hmm. name and yeah. a perfect approach for, uh, for doing this work. Yeah. I get uh, new, <laughs> I get, I get new people in my life every week. Somebody's asking me, can you mentor me? And I'm talking about right now I've taken on um, one who is, how old is Kiana? She's 22. And uh, she was in one of my trainings, and she just came up to me and was like, I just I just need you mentor me. <laughs> like, you know, and, and I think that to me shows me uh, what God has placed in us is that somebody 22 years old can look at someone 51 and say, hey, I want you to mentor me because, you know, you have something that I want to give to somebody else. And I told her the other week we were talking, I said, I see you touching your generation. You know, my pastor told me something the other week we were talking, and he said, man, he said, what his dad was instrumental in my life even when I was 
uh, out on the streets, his dad and his mom, they saw in me what I didn't see in myself. And he said to me, he said, man, my dad never would have realized that your life would touch as many lives as you do. And if you look at my circle, if my wife would tell you, it is it is so diverse. Like, <laughs> because yeah. I see people as human beings. I don't see them as where they're at right now. I see the potential in that human being. And it takes another human being to help them. Yeah. Yeah. We understand the power of individual encounters. That's kind of where the one loss sort of equates to individual encounters. And as Troy said before, she just mentioned, impacting through those individual encounters impacts families, that, that then impacts the community. Mm-hmm. It sort of has a ripple effect. So, you know, some people may want to, like I say in this society, downplay, well, you know, just one at a time. You know, oftentimes folks want to look at big numbers. People always want to look at how can we grow, 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 grow. And really our desire is not to grow in that way. Our desire is to remain where we are, where we can continue to impact individual lives that will then go back and um, impact families that will impact communities, that will impact our society. So, yes. yes, and to just piggyback on that, um, I believe that because we are believers, that Jesus came and showed us the way, and his way was always small groups. You know, he had a lot of followers, but the people that was close to him, it was a small group of individuals. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Michelle the other day. He took he took 12 regular people, 12 regular men, and 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 it really just shook up the world. And and, and that's what I'm saying. Like when you when you're able to give back to somebody, you don't know what they're gonna do in the future with that. And so never never sell yourself short to helping one person because in God's eyes, that one loss is the most important one. And he he stresses mm-hmm. that in the scripture. And so I just see a lot of organizations, they're looking for the big crowds, but if we can get that one, that's the transformation that we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be Joel Olstein right away. <laughs> no, no, right? no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. No, in in the the power of one. And I I love the phrase, the power of individual encounters. Um, It's one of the reasons I love podcasting so much is to have great conversations with people and just be uh, totally off from the Google of of the world. (laughs) Right. You know, off from the Slack messages and all that and just be able to talk to somebody. And then, you know, we'll be able to broadcast this out and get to more and more people from that. Yeah, I, I think, man, that, that you hit you hit a point there, man. I think that's why Joe Rogan is so huge is because the power of conversations. Mm-hmm. And we're in a society now that <laughs> they don't do that no more. It's, everything is social media and, you know, hiding behind filters. But there is power in conversation because you get to know people. Yeah. You know, don't ask, uh, you know, uh, why they're doing something. Ask what have you been through, you know. Uh, walking down the street, man, you know, just take the time to just start talking to somebody. Yep. And you might learn something new. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, you will. You'll certainly learn something new. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's amazing. Um, Michelle, you mentioned programming for The One Lost. What are some of the events that, that you're working on? So some of the events that we are, we will continue will be um, a youth leadership program that we have with our partner, Sinceris Healing, through the use of horses. Mm-hmm. And it's on a horse farm, and you can see more about that on our website. Um, that's been very impactful for youth who are, one of the things we want to impact are youth who may not have the opportunity to get out of their community to experience things that they may not otherwise experience. And we saw that through this partnership with Sincerest Healing. And so we've seen that impactful. Um, Some of the other things on the horizon that we're working on, again, you heard me mention uh, working with grandparents and great-grandparents, believe it or not, who are raising grandchildren 
I would say for the most part, because of this whole, you know, um, opioid crisis that we're in, and they find themselves, you know, in their 70s and 80s and 60s raising young children. And so we want to help them navigate resources. We want to be assistance to them. Troy and I had the experience of um, mm-hmm. raising our nine-year-old. He was eight at the time he came to us, um, but nine-year-old nephew for about nine months. And we so we had firsthand experience on what that could be like. Now, I guess I could technically be a grandparent. Well, we both could technically be grandparents because mm-hmm. we have we have adult children. Um, so we saw firsthand like how that can just, you know, that coming into your life, you have to really change your entire lifestyle, and um, really, that child is your first concern, and that can be overwhelming. It can it takes a lot of resources. So that's one thing on the horizon that we also want to do. Troy is. Um, a certified rap trainer. So we look at him doing, I don't know if he wants to talk about that. Rap trainer, like rap. hip-hop rap? No, <laughs> like no, no, W-R-A-P. No. Well, wellness recovery action. Okay. okay. Yeah. So so rap is not, not only for people in recovery or substance use. Rap is for anybody. Uh, and it's, it's really promoting wellness. I'm a big promoter of wellness. Uh, I believe in self-care, especially doing the work that I do, and as long as I've done it, I know that you have to take care of yourself. And just helping people understand the importance of taking care of yourself. Uh, And so we help them create a rap plan and what wellness looks like to you. Because wellness looks different for different people. And so that's very important to me. But, uh, yeah, back to, though, I wanted to just kind of go back to the grandparent thing with raising our nephew, we just saw the struggle that, you know, it can be with a young child and and an older adult with technology, things that most people take for granted, you know, uh, navigating uh, where to go to get some help with food services because when you get an extra couple of miles in the house, Food just disappears real fast. (laughs) So just helping them say, hey, you know, uh, this church over here gives out food on this certain date right here. You can go pick this up. Mm. A lot of people don't know stuff like that. And just giving them those small tools to help them in that process can relieve some of that that pressure of trying to raise their grandkids. On on top of having to deal with with a child who has a substance use disorder, Mm-hmm. And raising their kids, you know. Mm-hmm. So, the irony in this that whole situation was we had talked about that because we kept running into those situations. We kept running into grandparents and grand great grandparents who were raising children, and so that became something in our heart that we said, you know, perhaps we might need to look at that as part, you know, as a priority in our our goals for next year. Little did we know that we would also be in that situation. Wow. Unexpectedly, we we found ourselves in that situation. The same um, day. The same day. When our nephew <laughs> came, we didn't know that morning when we woke up that we would be parents um, for nine months. And so that was the irony. I think God knew it. We didn't know, but he kind of saw, okay, well, if that's something you want to better understand, I'm going to I'm going to allow you to better understand it first with firsthand experience, um, and it 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 yes. Oh, and having a nine year old boy just like that. I mean, nine year old boys are wild. They are just hellraisers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. But he is. Uh, he's with his father now. His mm-hmm. father's in recovery, doing well, which is a blessing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just really salute his dad for uh, stepping up and saying, I, I want to raise my son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just got to salute him for that because there's so many kids that their dads don't do that. But, um, but not only the food issue you talked about, like just those kind of resources, but the school. The like school, when you yeah. work full time and you have very demanding jobs. Yeah. Then you got to, you know, provide the attention yeah. and assistance yeah. for schoolwork. It was 
schoolwork, we had tutor, we had after school, we had to arrange what day, okay, if Michelle's in Charlotte, I need to be leaving Raleigh at 5 because yes. I got to pick him up by 6. I got to get him home to get dinner. We got to get homework done, you know. Then we got part time because I got I got to have a wellness in there with him too, <laughs> you know. So it was definitely a major sacrifice um, on our part because our ultimate goal was to give him the best foundation possible which he really needed, and I think God knew that. And I believe that it's it's spilling over into his life today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but we only had one. So you think about those grandparents yeah. that have two, three, and four. Hmm. I, I, I can't imagine. So we have a heart for that. Yeah. Yes, we definitely have escalated that to the top of our programming yeah. for 2023. Yeah, and another thing with me, too, financial assistance is great, but I think sometimes our society focuses too much on financial assistance versus teaching. Because hmm. mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you never teach a man how to fish, he, he will never learn how to eat. Correct. You know, yep. he'll, he'll just have somebody fishing for him. So I think on top of financial assistance, which is very much needed, I think we have to make sure that we're teaching people about resources, about responsibility to those resources. So something that my wife is really big on is, uh, okay, you know, if you know there's resources there, you need to take advantage of those resources. Uh, you know, if you know it's Wednesday Okay, you know you have to be there by 1, so you need to get on the bus by 10 to be there by 1. Mm-hmm. Just having these conversations with people because some of some of these things we take for granted, but some people were they was never given that growing up. They had to kind of fend for themselves, so to say. So yeah. again, things we take for granted, one loss, we look at all of those things and say, "Okay, this this year now, and this this is your responsibility." Yeah, we're not going to do this for you, <laughs> you yeah. know, and and in that that's what we call building self-efficacy, because if you can build that in a person, then you're changing the person as a whole person. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, what society is doing now is just give, give, give and not supporting self-efficacy. And uh, that's no good. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got to teach the people how to fish. Yeah. yeah and that's exactly what you're doing. Um, that, that's perfect. So. What um, you're starting a, a new business basically with the one lost, and it's a small team. Um, how are you two figuring out like dividing up the the roles in this, and then what are some challenges that you've had in getting this going? Yeah, so I want to give a shout out to our board. Um, who stepped up to the plate when we formed uh, during the pandemic? We have a diverse board with diverse backgrounds. We have someone with an IT background who has been very instrumental with technology and all of that. Very helpful. We have a board member who work, who's in the community, who's very helpful, um, an attorney on the board who has been just, <laughs> just very helpful in the world of, you know, on the legal side and things of that nature. And then we have a gentleman who just said, I will be there for you guys and I will help and I'll step in. It's been very supportive, not only financially, but just with this time. So I do want to give a shout out to our um, our current board. But I have been acting as the administrator. I sort of do this as a second. Um, I, don't, I don't call it job. I, I do it as a passion, second passionate thing outside of work, um, and I enjoy it, and I really want, I'm looking forward to us just doing a lot more with the organization. Mm-hmm. But he, Troy is more of the visionary person, and I'm more of the implementer and mentor, so he'll have an idea, and i just... I'll take it and run with it. <laughs> yeah. Or the board will have an idea and I'll take it and run with it. So Yeah, I can I can give Michelle an idea and next thing I know she's created this and that that's I think that's where we come together. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think 
you know, the challenge, I think, our vision is bigger than our budget. <laughs> but it's like I'm not even really worried about that, like, because I believe that God will bless us in due he time. Has. He's already blessed us. We we come out of our pocket and really it's our own funding that we support our own mission. We we get donations and things like that. But mm-hmm. I just believe in that if you are doing what uh, God told you to do uh, and not making it about you, not, you know, um, I believe that that will come in due time. Yeah. Yep. And so the, the vision, you know, it'll, it'll become clear in due time, <laughs> but like, what do you think right now for the one lost in say five years? Like what, what does it look like? Uh, I hope to see one loss activated in several cities. Ooh. Yeah, I would love to see, um, you know, uh, just different pop-ups of one loss around operating in communities um, with our model, what we do, and keeping that focus, sort of like being under our umbrella, so to say. Um, I would like to see us doing this full-time. <laughs> you know, that would that would definitely be... Uh, a blessing to be able mm-hmm. to just give everything to this. Um, you know, we we got we got bills, so we have to work right now. <laughs> but that's okay, man. You yeah. know that that's um, that's a part of uh, the process to me. Uh, sometimes the process gets frustrating, but I have to smile uh, because I just look back on where I came from, and it's like, okay, you know, it's just it's another process, man. Yeah, and it's gonna work out. For sure. Yeah. And I can see how the your role in the police department could help out with doing new cities for the one lost. Yeah, yeah. So so the role that I'm taking with the police department, which is uh, just absolutely amazing, first of all, and I sent a big shout out to Chapel Hill PD. Uh, they are incorporating peer support specialists within their crisis unit. So I'll be supervising the peers in that crisis unit and helping bring on more peers, and then we're creating a uh, program with Chapel Hill Transit, which we will have peers working with the transit system for individuals that, because they don't want to just kick people off of transit that may have a substance use or mental health issue. They, they want to make sure they're providing the services. So I just I just see this growing um, all over the place, man, and, and being able to be a part of that. And uh, somehow one loss would be a part of that, too, somewhere. Yep. Yep. I, I mean, there's so many possibilities here with uh, with what y'all can do. And, you know, the, the focus on the one person, mm-hmm. the one person that's lost, and then expanding it out to the world, it's a mm-hmm. powerful message. Mm-hmm. And you're in the right spot to be able to do this. So I'm excited to, to see what, the, you know, the next year brings and the next five year brings for, for you all. You mentioned donations. Like, how can listeners connect and donate? So, our website has a donate button in several places. So, you can <laughs> go to our website, theoneloss.org. And actually, on the first page, there's a donate button. And on the second page, there's a donate button. And there's, there's various opportunities on our website website to donate. We are also in the process of launching social media. We've been intentional about not doing that too soon. We know that now is the perfect timing for that. So we want our listeners to look out for us on social media. And there will be opportunities to also give on social media, but not only give, but just see what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Just seeing our work in action on social media. And what's the... Um, what are the handles for social media? Do you have that? We don't have that yet. Okay. We're in the process of launching that with this podcast. So. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Well, Troy and Michelle, thank you so much for, for being our guests on, on your podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been amazing, and I've, I've uh, enjoyed learning so much uh, about what you're doing here. Thank you, Jason. Thank yes. you. Uh, I believe that uh, we, we were supposed to meet you, too. So. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. This has been it's awesome It's been a experience. pleasure working with you, and we look forward to working with you on more podcasts. This has been fun. Nice. Mm-hmm. I want to ask about uh, parents. And, you know, if a parent sees 
something that could be a, a problem with with their children, and they start to suspect um, substance abuse, mm-hmm. like I would love some practical advice. Like, what can that parent do about this? Like, how do you approach these conversations? And I, I'm, I'm worried that it, it kind of depends on the situation. But is there general advice that you can give about how to approach that type of situation? Yeah, that's that's a great question, man, and and it's a much-needed question. So the thing that I tell parents all the time is that um, it's always going to probably feel a little awkward, <laughs> but that's okay. Don't like, all conversations feel? Oh, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to be. It's, it's okay for the conversation to feel awkward, but you got to have the conversation. That's, that's nothing that you can just say, oh, he or she is just going through uh, a fad right now. And, and the reason I say that is the drugs has changed tremendously since we came up. Mm. You know, smoke a little weed, but now a kid can use something and die immediately with mm-hmm. so much fentanyl out here. So that that is why I push, like, let's sit down, let's have that conversation there is a organization called the Alcohol and Drug Council of North Carolina. They have uh, Let's Talk It Out. They help parents talk to teens. Uh, they can connect you with all types of uh, teen services that can relate to that teen. But the sooner that you start the conversation, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you suspect it, just start the conversation right then. Yeah. And uh, do it out of love. Uh, you know, uh, not, I think sometimes parents come in with a moral stick mm. <laughs> and they start beating the kid with the moral stick. I've raised you better than this. And they take it personal. Yeah. I've seen that too. Parents, this is a reflection of me. Sit down. It's not about you at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about your child. Yeah. And don't worry about what your neighbors think. You know, I ran into that a lot. You know, a lot of parents was worried about what are they going to think of us? Like, heck, they're dealing with it too. Yeah. You know. And most most important is take care of your family. (laughs) Right. Not not what your neighbors think. (laughs) But you'd be amazed, man, at the parents that was worried about what, you know, the neighbors was going to think or the bridge Mm. club or, you know, this community that we're part of. I'm like, well, why would you want to hang out with people like that? Yeah. They're not your real friends if they're going to look at you like you did something wrong because your child has experienced, you know, has an experience with drugs, man. Mm-hmm. And so just getting them to kind of get that shock factor like, wait a minute, that's true. Like, you know. Yeah. And then support systems for parents that. There's Al-Anon. Uh, Al-Anon supports parents. Uh, and again, uh, Alcohol and Drug Council would talk it out. They have all types of resources for parents. Yeah. Um, SAMHSA, you can go on SAMHSA's website. They have a lot of resources for parents, for uh, kids who are dealing with substance use. Yeah. Yeah, that's great info. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be valuable information to listeners. Who, yeah who are kind of familiar that you all help with addiction Mm -hmm. um, and are just kind of listening and trying to figure out like, okay, well, you know, I, maybe I have this problem. Like how do I deal with it? So I think that's gonna be super helpful. I, most of the calls he gets are where folks are almost at the end of their rope. Yeah. Yeah. They've waited until they've gotten almost, I mean, it's a very dire situation. I would advise that people not wait until that point. And it's like, okay, they are hysterical. They are they they feel like they something has to happen now and that he's going to be the savior. I see a lot of that. And it goes back to what we were talking about early early on, the willingness. Sometimes it's the loved one who is who wants to help more than the person. Not all the time, but sometimes. And they need to understand, as you said earlier, the person has to be willing first. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the loved one want, is more willing than the person is. They're just not ready. Yeah, I mean, that's just the reality of it. Not all the time, but sometimes they're not ready. And that's very disappointing to the loved one. 
loved one being the parent, the sister, the sibling, you know, a friend. Yeah. But as a parent, if you have an adolescent, you have leverage. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I need parents to understand. You do have leverage as a parent. Now, when you wait to the 18 and 19 years old, you lose that leverage. Yeah. And I love the fact that you, you pointed out, you know, about the, the willingness. When you have that leverage, you don't have to worry about their willingness. This is what you're going to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're going to fight you on it. But at the end of the day, I always tell parents, look, you're the parent. You can't worry about a friendship right now. <laughs> well, what what do you want to happen? Like, do you want do you want this um, a, abuse to continue going on, right. or do you want to appease your your right. child here? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Whew. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds like a, a tough conversation. It <laughs> is. Yeah, it but is. you got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. Got to do it. That's a great place to end our conversation today with Michelle and Troy Manns, the founders of The One Lost Ministry, which you can find at theonelost.org. If you're looking for help, fill out the contact form. And if you feel called to donate, be sure to click the Donate Now button. All right, this episode of The One Lost is just an intro to Troy and Michelle, but from here, they will be taken over as hosts. So be sure to subscribe to the show on any podcast app, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeart. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Jason Gilligan, and thank you for listening to The One Lost.